Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on-topic and on-location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a part of Gestalt IT, and each episode we bring you the perspectives and viewpoints of a group of IT luminaries on a variety of topics, or premises, if you will. I'd like to take a moment for our guests to introduce themselves before we jump into today's premise, starting with Remington. Hi, I'm Remington Luce. Uh, my Twitter handle's at localpref underscore net, and I work as a solutions architect for a value-added reseller. My name is Troy Martin. You can find me on Twitter at Troy Mart, and I bring the art and science to wireless design. I'm Drew Conry-Murray. I'm on Twitter at Drew underscore CM, and I write on podcasts for the Packet Pushers. Hi, I'm Jody Lemoyne. I tweet at, at Ghost in the Net, and I'm an independent consultant serving the small and mid-market spaces. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Let's jump into the premise for today's episode. Now, everyone's pretty familiar with enterprise IT. A lot of us grew up in our careers working on it, whether it was an on-premises data center network, uh, wireless deployment, maybe it was some security that we were implementing. But the cloud is here to stay, whether we want it to be or not. And a lot of the functions that we've been doing in the enterprise have slowly been migrating that direction. When you add in a couple of years of everyone working from home, thanks to a global pandemic, it really has started to make people ask a lot of questions about how necessary IT in the enterprise is going forward. And quite honestly, it really does raise the biggest question of all, which is, does enterprise IT matter at all anymore? Now, there's a lot of different uh, discussions that we could take on this one, and I know that we've got Cisco Live coming up, which is generally one of the biggest shows of the year for Cisco, which is honestly one of the biggest providers of enterprise IT, especially when it comes to networking, wireless, security, and a bunch of other things. So I'm going to open the floor up to our distinguished guests here. Um, Is cloud and work from home the one-two punch that's necessary to kind of knock out all of this uh, traditional enterprise thinking? That depends on what we consider traditional enterprise thinking to be. When we're in uh, different spaces, what one person's enterprise is, is another person's service provider network. It's everybody does it differently. Are we expanding things? Absolutely. But from a network perspective, it doesn't matter where you move the convenience store, you still need roads to get there. And I would say that's true that we've seen a lot of, a lot of focus on the cloud and from a networking perspective, it really doesn't feel that different to us because the packets are still going somewhere. And given that a lot of the, oh, I don't know, a lot of the applications that we've used have migrated into a cloud hosting environment, the packets are still flowing north and south out of the diagram. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't impact us in the future because we still have to figure out how to deploy all these cool networks that we've built in a VPC or in an Azure instance. And I know for a fact, those schools do not translate one to one exactly. I feel like if the question about does enterprise IT matter, I think to the you know traditional vendors we talk about on shows like this, yes, because we're seeing, I think, a, a significant pivot toward the enterprise space where early on in the cloud days, as the cloud boom was happening, you could sell a million switches and routers to AWS, uh, Azure, and Google, then that's where their focus was. But now that's starting to slow down or it becomes more you know, a bunch of purchases here and then nothing for a quarter and so on that starts to affect your stock price. And so where I'm seeing more interest in an investment from the traditional vendors, Cisco, Juniper, Arista, and so on, in the enterprise space, because I think they see that as 
a reliable place to extract income as opposed to these sort of vagaries of a cloud purchase. So it's interesting that you bring that up, Drew, because obviously, you know, on the packet pushers, you guys get a completely different perspective on on what they're doing. But the question that I have there is, you know, kind of leading into what you had said about the fact that the the cloud uh, providers were kind of a, a land rush at first where everyone was trying to sell as many switches as possible. Is the slowdown there because the cloud providers have kind of hit their saturation point with the number of ports that they can offer? Or is it like we've seen in some rumblings from Amazon, the fact that AWS has decided maybe it's time for us to build our own equipment that meets our needs a little bit more directly? And to reference that point, we saw the same thing happen with Facebook. Facebook was buying equipment hand over fist as fast as they could. And then all of a sudden they came up with the wedge and the six pack and and uh, FBOSS. And suddenly a lot of Facebook's value to the traditional enterprise vendors went away because Facebook wasn't buying hardware anymore and they weren't uh, you know, customizing software. So are we seeing this kind of replication where you know, we're, we're falling back on our traditional habits until the next big thing comes along? Yeah, I think so, because that enterprise space, I think, is fairly reliable. You know, every three or four years, they're going to want to refresh the Wi-Fi, and, and that means more switches, and that means uh, and new things will come along, like SD-WAN, where suddenly we're seeing more interest in the branch, and what can we do in the branch besides that connectivity? How can we extend additional services? Uh, and of course, there's always security, which is a perpetual you know, market driver for uh, the enterprise vendors wanting to help organizations try to get a handle on protecting information and users. Well, there's a vastly different perspective there between vendors and technologists where we're looking at things in terms of the enterprise networking evolving to new things, just like you used to have bare metal servers and then things went virtual and then things went cloud. From the server operator's perspective, they were always the same. But from the box mover's perspective, they were completely different because you know, they're selling fewer boxes or in the case of cloud providers, no boxes into the enterprise. So we're looking at it from the perspective that enterprise networking is changing and evolving and we're evolving with it. But the vendor's perspective is we're not selling stuff anymore. So does that mean enterprise IT is dying or does that mean it, the, the vendor solutions that have traditionally been provided are less relevant than they used to be? I think some of the uh, that's true. I think some of it is is that they're less relevant, but I do think there are definitely vendors that are appealing still to the enterprise market who are shifting towards that cloud model, right? And they're trying to they're trying to essentially straddle with the whole CASB, you know, uh, SIG. Pick the acronym you would like to use for that style of connectivity and security and so forth. You know, they're trying to sort of straddle that and bridge that gap where. Maybe traditionally we would have backhauled that traffic to a data center and secured it at a choke point. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to take it directly to the cloud because the cloud workload is there. Or they're using it simply because everyone's got, generally speaking, a, a faster and more reliable internet connection to their home or to a branch or to wherever the case may be. And they're going to use that internet as a transport in order to reach you know, back into an enterprise data center or an enterprise location that may be distributed along with the ability to go to the cloud. So I think there are definitely vendors who are who are trying to straddle that. I think the question of, you know, does it matter? Does enterprise IT matter? It definitely certainly matters. I think it matters to the vendors. I think it matters to the to the businesses that are running it. I think the real question is just how much of that dollar, how much of that workload is moving outside of the brick and mortar walls of, of companies and that's a question I think that we can continue to wade through for decades. I mean, it'll still be there. 
Well, something that Drew brought up and and you kind of touched on it, like we've, we've really focused this on the core. We focus this on the server farms that are kind of a, a, a natural fit for moving to the cloud. Right. But the edge still matters to a lot of people. And Drew kind of mentioned it where, you know, every two or three years, there's a new Wi-Fi standard that comes out that's going to require more power and different radios. And for years, like, you know, the wireless providers could just say, you know, hey, we're going to roll out, you know, uh, you know, AX or six gigahertz or what are we calling it now? Six, six E, six rev two, seven purple, who knows? Uh, but that means that you have to have an office. That means you have to have a location. And for the last couple of years, a lot of places haven't. So Troy, from your perspective, is the enterprise wireless market seeing the same kinds of um, downturn slash reinvestment now that, you know, I see a lot of talk online about whether or not Wi-Fi 6E actually matters. I think certain portions of enterprise IT will always matter. Uh, you have your end devices, which will always be on-prem. And then to get access to network resources, uh, the, the predominant method will be wireless backhaul. So whether that's Wi-Fi or some other new uh, upcoming wireless technology, that'll always exist. And those devices will need to be on site. So you have a natural refresh cycle as uh, the new Wi-Fi technologies are refreshed with 6 and 6E to offer us uh, 6 gigahertz, uh, moving down the road to, to Wi-Fi, uh, Wi-Fi 7. But we're also seeing increasing amounts of uh, devices with uh, IoT to, to monitor, manage, uh, other additional systems. And again, those sensors and devices need to be uh, on site, right? So you'll always have to manage those. Now, where that data flows, th there's a lot of uh, options uh, to make that happen, but some devices will always need, to, always need to exist on site. I think that's a great point. And there's also certain sectors that require people and location that are essential to the business. So hospitals, uh, manufacturing, education, yeah, that at some point bodies do have to be in a physical space, uh, and then they're going to need connectivity, and that's where th that that AP still plays a role. I can see everything moving toward a focus on transport. You know, as we move things to cloud, as we move things to consolidated locations, uh, the the whole objective of enterprise IT is get your stuff to where it needs to be. Maybe it's not as complicated as you see in service provider networks or data center networks, but it's a, a matter of getting things from point A to point B. And whether it's consolidated or not is a separate issue. Yeah, I think the transport is a really great point there. You know, I was talking with a customer just the other week, and, and they're actually looking to move parts of their imaging system to a cloud-related service, right? Which would be something that, historically speaking, I would have never imagined, right, from a performance perspective. But, you know, advances in cloud have allowed that to move to a place where you can stream that out, right? Rather than transfer an entire study at once, you can just stream the portions of it that the, uh, that the doctor is interested in viewing at a particular moment. So... Cloud is certainly enabling capabilities that we've never had before. Um, and again, there's also, you know, you mentioned some markets, HPC. I know it's not generally a, a enterprise market per se, but those folks do buy from some of those same vendors, right? And they also have requirements where that while there are uh, cloud-related alternatives that you can do from an AI, ML, or other kind of workload perspective, a lot of them still like having their own hardware internally and doing their own thing, whether we want to call that enterprise or not, uh, you know, I think it could maybe draw a line there, but that's another on-prem, large-scale sort of solution. Yeah, I feel like enterprise IT matters. It's just that we need to sort of rethink that traditional model of enterprise IT means a data center and a campus. Um, as several other people have mentioned, now it's about 
transport. It's about enforcing policy. It's about uh, monitoring performance, and it doesn't. This really is new granddaddy's enterprise. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 less about the location and more about providing that connectivity, the security, the performance. So I guess that raises the question: How does a company, say like Cisco, for example? transition with that market because as we've seen over the years with any one of a number of companies whether it's ibm or anyone they are very good at selling what sells so you really need your network to look like this because this is what we sell i mean everyone knows that the traditional three-tier network architecture with access uh, distribution and core layer is effectively the model that works for the people who sell those kinds of switches. Now we've since moved in the data center to something that's a little bit more like a spine leaf or a clause architecture. And so that's upset the apple cart a little bit, but we're talking about a much more radical shift where the edge of your network no longer is just a, you know, quick access area that there's a lot of policy enforcement that has to happen there with things like zero trust network architecture and um, you know, services edge that then the core is effectively somewhere else. So how does a company that has spent years trying to make that important for the bottom line, make those transitions, given that there's a huge supply chain crunch, so you're going to have a hard time getting hardware. And more importantly, you've got to go back to the same enterprises that you were in before the pandemic and go, hey, I know that we told you that all of this equipment was super important, but things have changed and you've got to buy all new stuff. I mean, from my perspective, what we're seeing the vendors do is sort of, uh, Jody, you mentioned it used to be about shipping boxes, and I think now it's about shipping licenses. Um, if it was a hardware sale, now they can virtualize it, and you used to run this firewall at your edge, now you run it uh, at your cloud edge virtually instead of as a box. Um, it used to be, so I think the vendors are virtualizing um, but still charging the same amount that they would apply for, still charging the same amount for hardware, and they're also changing the, the purchase model, whereas it used to be, I bought the switch, I kind of owned it. Now I'm essentially renting everything with this um, sort of cloud-based, you know, uh, consumption-based model or um, the new licensing terms that are less about ownership and more about you just paying this sort of fixed normal cost. And if you need more, we'll charge you more. That raises a really good point in that um, I think that the larger vendors are seeing that the box moving is on the decline but things are commoditizing. You're not needing quite as much specialized services in the enterprise. So the logical pivot is to go to services and recognize that a lot of the boxes that you're going to be moving are going to be basic. Transport is transport. And the key bit is managing it all and securing it all, which can easily be sold as a subscription service. But one of the things that we've seen that Cisco has been having a hard time doing is making that transition. The, the term that I've used before is, you know, Chuck Robbins is trying to turn a very big aircraft carrier. And that has been reflected in their latest numbers where software subscription margins are not quite there yet. And so they're still very reliant on the whims of the hardware market. And one of the other things that we've seen is the fact that a lot of companies that are trying to go with this model and kind of divorce themselves from using hardware, they can't quite cut that that link. And it's funny to me that Cisco, for all of their, hey, we'll provide you with licenses and all this other stuff, 
still hasn't found a way to say, not only will we provide you with licenses, but basically we will lease you hardware for an additional fee as well. And then every couple of years, we'll trade that out as new stuff becomes available. That to me says, we'd love to be a software company, but we're still going to push boxes. Well, Cisco's been married to the hardware like from their inception. So as you said, big aircraft carrier, Tom, and that's not moving anytime soon. You've got a culture of hardware sales. And it doesn't help that the software sales and the service sales are separate business units. And they're competing with the hardware sales. So you have to basically either merge those business units so that you've got a combined approach or you've got to place priority on what the long-term success is. But as long as things are coming in with money, you're not likely to deprioritize a business unit. I think supply chain is changing things a lot. You know, people are realizing that it's really comfortable to go with the big vendors because it's what we know, it's how we play, it's, it's our standardized way of doing things. But wait a minute, I can't get one for two years? Now I have to rethink. And that rethink may be a push towards software solutions. Yeah, to pop, to, to pop into that question for a second there too. So I think part of it is, you know, uh, we're talking about enterprises, right? And how enterprise customers view and, and think about the world plays into this too. And a lot of those enterprise customers, you know, they I don't think they fully wrap their head around the subscription model. I mean, I know we talk about it and that's part of the reason that there's a lot of talking about it and the discomfort associated with licensing it is because they really don't like it and they really don't want it to be that way, right? So I think for a lot of enterprises, they would rather buy that box and treat it like, you know, uh, to talk about Cisco Cat 6K, where they're going to run it for 12, 15 years, you know, because it's bulletproof, it feels like to them, and they want to run it until it's dead, right? So we'll get our ROI on it, you know, we'll amortize it in three years or five years or whatever our timeline is, and then we'll just make money off of it, quote unquote, right, running it for until it falls over. Um, and I think so that hasn't necessarily changed in the mindset of the enterprise um, in terms of how that's working, I think, is part of that. And so the vendor, to your point, is going to continue to, to cater that behavior, right, and make sure that they <laughs> that they're allowed to buy their cars in the way that they want to use them. You know? So, so uh, another question kind of around that is this idea that companies are starting to focus back in the the enterprise. Um, there was a release, a recent uh, report that was released by Delora Group that said that uh, data center switching, especially in the cloud, has grown like 16% year over year for the last quarter, but that analysts are projecting that it's going to start going back down. And uh, one of the things that we've kind of discussed recently is this idea of the Peloton problem. Uh, obviously, Peloton being the, uh, the exercise equipment and services maker, uh, they saw record growth in the first few months of the pandemic, and they uh, expanded significantly to offer more uh, exercise bikes and treadmills. And then as the pandemic started winding down uh, in the minds of many, the, uh, the, the growth wasn't there which led to a lot of people asking, were people buying a Peloton in the first few months of the pandemic because they wanted one or because they were going to buy one anyway, and they might as well get it now since we were going to be stuck inside for who knows how long. And then on the other side of it, all of the customer base that were potential Peloton customers have already purchased. So there's nowhere for them to expand. Are we seeing the problem then where the vendors have nowhere to expand in the cloud anymore? So, you know, all of the, the data center switches that they're going to buy are these pull through. It's going to take six months, eight months for us to ship anyway. I might as well buy it now. 
And does that mean that the enterprise is going to be faced with the same problem in the next quarter of buy all these things, but we can't get them to you in time? I, I waited and say, number one, I was a person who bought a Peloton for that reason. So I'm, I'm definitely in the <laughs> yes camp um, on that one. And, and you know, I help sell stuff to customers. And that's exactly what I see happening, right? Well, a lot of customers, enterprise customers are making decisions to purchase things now knowing that the timeline is long and so they're pulling those purchases forward right to make sure that they can have the hardware in the timeline that they need it and there will be a essentially a collapse if you will in the demand i think um once they get the hardware that they need because they don't need anything for a while right so it's it, you're it's pulling it forward because of that you know i, I was going to add uh so in, instead of peloton uh, i've been using zwift which allowed me to use a lot of my own equipment so I have my own hardware, but in order to use that, I'm connecting to my existing access points, my existing wireless infrastructure. But uh, the value that uh, brought to me is enhancements of the cloud offering, right? So the additional uh, services for machine learning and artificial intelligence that allow us to, to troubleshoot uh, or identify issues that are going on the network and provide guidance to users who may not be experts in those areas, but to point them in the right direction to troubleshoot and bring systems back online in the events of failures. But it's, it's those add-on values, uh, it's kind of sponsored by cloud development that'll help drive uh, you know, what uh, could quite be the limited box sales that we have going forward. Well, there's that pivot from, from hardware to services. So when you've got uh, management and analytics services in the cloud powered by AI that you can power essentially charge month to month as a subscription, that's not as hard to sell because you're looking at a company and saying, okay, I'm going to sell you a service that is an ongoing month to month thing and it provides new development and new, new insights to what you're doing. That's a very different sell than looking at the people who bought a switch that was gonna be there for 12 years for a fixed cost and telling them, oh, by the way, you have to pay a license fee every year to use it. That, that's a very different sell. But I think if we move more towards services and things that justify a subscription, that's going to be a good move in the enterprise and it's gonna be an easier sell than trying to take the things that were never subscription and turn them to subscription without value add. That's 100% it, I think, 100% it, is trying to convince the people that did this before that there is an actual value add because changing just changing the consumption model isn't interesting, I don't think, for anyone in enterprise. I mean, the value if the value is exactly the same as it was before, then explain to me why this change in consumption model benefits me as a customer. And I feel like that, to your point, that sale is super hard, right? Um, but if you, can, if you can get value add on top of it, then you've got a, then you've got a leg to stand on. Um, you know, and I think that to Tom's point about the difficulty with Cisco and, and the pivot and, you know, all the things that they're trying to do, I feel like that's a key part of it, right, is showing the value that they can drive out of that additional capability. And let's be transparent, right? All that's supposed to be data that's being collected from the boxes they want to sell you, right? So we'll give you this data that will give you value, but we're going to try to put this in this nice little loop, right, that ties back into the hardware that we sold you so that we can get you the data to make it more valuable to you so that we can sell you the hardware, you know what I mean? So there's there's still a hook, I think, in there to try to tie that together. It's not just saying, let's go generate value in software. It's, we're going to generate value in software so we can continue to sell you a box. It's, if you're going to sell someone a subscription and show them the value of why they should buy the subscription, that's a very different thing than saying, when you buy this particular piece of equipment, you have to pay for the subscription, regardless of whether you're getting value out of it or not. And then, of course, everybody buys the equipment with the subscription and then three years later drops the subscription so they can keep running it the way they always did. 
because A, it wasn't an option, and B, no one demonstrated the value of why they're buying the subscription except that they won't sell you the hardware without it. That, that's, that's not inspiring confidence in the customer. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to point out that there's a little bit of fire coming from that. Yeah, especially it's one thing if, if you can, uh, you know, let your subscription lapse and continue to use the equipment. But if your equipment, uh, in order for it to function, is dependent on that maintaining that subscription, and if you uh, drop that subscription, all of a sudden it's a paperweight. That That's a much different uh, scenario and a, a, I think a much uh, harder sell to attend customers to see the value in that. Yeah, it's more like a hostage situation than a, than a it, client. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to point it out that way, but you're right. <laughs> it's... it's... <laughs> It's, it's protection money. Right. I mean, but there are two ways to do that protection money. Like I think, you know, Juniper, I think, and Extreme are both pushing this kind of AI ops model, uh, particularly on the wireless side, where the value from buying the AP is not just the wireless connectivity. It's the telemetry we get from the AP and from the clients that we can then use to do AI ML magic on top to deliver some kind of service, whether it's, you know, troubleshooting, automated remediation, et cetera. Um, that's supposed to, that's like the hook, that's the value prop of now why we're moving to a subscription because you get the wireless connectivity plus more with the subscription on top. That's um, the value add. That's, yeah, that's that an idea. easy sell. That's a, yeah. Here's what you get, not your network keeps running. You know, but, so there's the question of where is enterprise IT moving? Is enterprise IT moving to commodity transport with advanced management services tacked onto that? I'd say yes, only because even if you look at Cisco's SDA, what we're talking about on the wireless end, what we're talking about on the access switching end, that's not really all that different from what they were doing all along. What they're adding to the puzzle is the overall management and, and overall visibility to the whole thing. And that's where the subscription has value. But I think more and more people are going to find the boxes are all the same. It's what you're tacking onto it that's different. I mean, I think it's hard for traditional IT vendors that came up trying to differentiate on hardware, on our specific ASIC, our specific magic in the box to say that it's just transport now. So that's why you're seeing Cisco still invest in its own silicon to say we can do things with it or Nokia or others still playing in that silicon game because they, they, I guess there are corner cases where you can make that argument, but I agree with you that for the general enterprise, transport is transport and the value prop comes at a higher level. But you raise a really good point on that one, which is that for those people who do need that programmability, for those people who do need the special things in the ASIC, that's the top end of the market. Right. And the top end of the market is where most of the profit is. So that's where you aim. But the, the question is, how far do you focus on the top end of the market before you realize you're a niche, a niche product? But the other thing I think you mentioned SDA. Um, so I... If we're talking about a cloud-based software solution, it shouldn't really matter what the underlying hardware is, but Cisco will say, no, 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 you need to also buy our switches because it's all dependent on the Lisp protocol that we're supporting as opposed to buying a white box or some other competitor switch that won't work in SDA. And so that's also, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too in this higher level value proposition, but still trying to find a way to buy, force you to buy their specific hardware product, even though it is, yeah. But even though it should be just transport, it should be just a box for most customers, the vendors are finding ways to 
or maybe excuses to try to tie you back into their specific brand of hardware to get that value add on top? Well, it's also tie-in in, in, in the sense that even if you go back a few years and you look at Cisco's management products, Cisco's management products would talk far better to Cisco's products than any third-party product because it's the same manufacturer dealing with both ends of the stick. Now, SDA is going to work far better as a strategy with Cisco's Catalyst series because they're married together. That's how they work. That doesn't mean that your white box switches and the like don't provide similar function. They're just not providing it with Cisco's solution. All right. Well, it sounds to me like we've figured out that enterprise IT really still does matter. The question is, what does it matter for? And I think what we're seeing is, is that the enterprise is transforming. It's no longer the traditional monolith that we've seen in years past. It's more of a transport layer for users on the edge to connect to services, whether they're in a public cloud or a hybrid cloud model. And you have to decide for yourself how best to make that transformation. Does that require new hardware? Does that require subscriptions to services? That's an answer that you're going to have to have for yourself. And that requires investigation and learning a lot about some of the solutions that are being offered by companies like Cisco uh, coming up at Cisco Live or you know Arista or Juniper or any one of a number of companies that are offering these things to you. And when you know what your enterprise is going to be transforming into, that will give you a better idea of how to make it work. I want to thank all of our guests for being a part of the on-premise IT roundtable today. Um, your perspectives and viewpoints are always valuable to us and to our wonderful community of listeners. If you would like to subscribe to this podcast, you can always find the latest episode at gestaltit.com slash podcast, or just search for the on-premise IT roundtable in your favorite podcast application. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great episode. Until then, if you have a great premise for us, make sure you tweet it at OnPremiseIT on Twitter. Um, we will find it, and I promise you that we will use premise correctly in the future. 